Good morning, church. This morning, our scripture is from Psalms, the 77th chapter, verses 11 through 14. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. This is God's word. Please be seated. I love that question, whose God is as great as our God? And the answer is there isn't one. Uh, we are going to, uh, to be looking at Psalm 77 today, but it's not going to be um, in line with the, the sermons that we've been going through this, this summer, looking at the Psalms. Uh, the third week of August every year is sort of a transition time for a lot of a lot of young people in our church, they're getting ready to go off to college or go into the military or to a vocational school or into some other kind of a career. Many of them are leaving home for the first time. And this week always has served as a transition week as they move on to the next big thing in life. And it's an opportunity for us as a church family. A lot of, a lot of these young folk that are heading off have, have uh, come over the last couple of years but a lot of these kiddos that are heading towards that next big thing have been with us their entire life. Uh, 18 years that we've been a part of their church family and they've been a part of ours. And it just seems uh, fitting that as, as we have grown to love and the, the experiences of, of different things that happen in life, all of that we've, we've done together to have as they get ready to move on to that next big thing, uh, we have a moment just just to say, uh, we love you and we want you to remember these things. And so that's, uh, that's what we're going to be doing today. Psalm 77 is a, is a psalm that reminds us of the importance of remembering how God makes himself known in great ways to us. Uh, I'll remember your miracles, your great deeds, the psalmist says. And that's what we want to, to remind them of this morning, is that there are some awfully important things to remember as you go forward from this point on in life. And we're going to begin with a word of prayer and then jump into this message. There's an outline inside of the, the bulletin that you can use to jot these things down. Father, we are grateful for this day. And it's not just any day, it is a day that you have given to us. It is the first day of the week in which we come together as your family, your children, who recognize the greatness of your presence, and not only your presence, but of how your love has invaded and infiltrated our lives in such a way that we are different and whether we find ourselves in good times or bad times, we find ourselves with you and you with us. And we are thankful and grateful for that. And it makes the difference, Father. And we're thankful for all of the things that you do inside of us through your Spirit, Father, and through your Word and through fellowship, through faith. We're grateful for this new life you have given to us. And so as we, we think about... Uh, not just maturing, Father, but maturing in our faith. We are asking that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear in such a way 
that we are truly revolutionized in the way that we live our lives in love and in forgiveness and mercy and grace because of the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with uh, one of my favorite stories of, of all time. Uh, a fellow by the name of Berkeley Hackett, who was a missionary for a number of years in Nairobi, Kenya, told this story many, many decades ago. It's one of those stories that is just so powerful that it sticks with you and you don't forget it. I want to share it with you this morning. Berkeley tells of going to a village outside of Nairobi and, and going inside of a hut of, of an older African woman whose name was Imbura. And Imbura was, was, was very old by the time that, uh, that Berkeley met her. And he wanted to sit down and, and listen to her talk about what life was like before Nairobi had grown and grown and grown to the city that it is today and what life was like when she was a little girl. And so he's sitting inside of her, her, her hut drinking smoky tea that Africans are always hospitable with. And she begins to tell him of what it was like to grow up in her village when she was a little girl. She was about 12, 11, 10, 13 years old, right in there. And there weren't a whole lot of kids in her village at that time. And outside of her hut that she grew up in, there was a stump that if you, she was able to get up on that stump, if you got up on that stump and, and looked, you could see a hut in the distance by itself. And if you got up on your tippy toes, she said, you could kind of squint your eyes and see beyond that uh, a couple of other huts in the distance. And that is where Imbura's best friend in the entire world lived. And on those days where her chores and you know she were done and she had some free time, she would she would go and see her friend or her friend would come to her her, her place and and they would spend time together and doing things that the girls do. The only problem in, in making that trek from her place to her friend's place was that hut right there in the middle. There was this tiny little dog, and this dog didn't like anybody. And when Imbura would try to go see her friend, she would try to sneak by. And sometimes she was successful, but more times than not she wasn't. She'd step on something, and the dog would hear it or, or catch a, 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 her scent. And that dog, that little old tiny dog, would chase her down, just barking at her, nipping at her heels. She's screaming and crying and running for her life until that dog gives up the chase. Well, one day, she wanted to go see her friend, and she knew that to do that, she was going to have to stay on the path, and she was going to have to go by that other little hut where that little dog lived. And she's sneaking by. True story now. She's trying to sneak by and go as quietly as she can when she steps on a stick, and it snaps, which sounds like an explosion in her ears because she knows what that means. That little dog has heard it, and sure enough, she begins to run for her life as this little dog is chasing at her. And she's turning around and trying to kick and turning around and running and then turning back around, trying to kick at her and crying. Dog is at her heels trying to, trying to bite her in the ankles. And, and she is about to be bitten by this dog. When, as she's turning around, she falls down on the path. Just as a lion that had been in the tall grass leaps over where she had just been standing. Everybody is confused. The lion and Imbura and the dog. And the lion looks at Imbura and looks at the little dog, grabs the little dog in its mouth, and runs away. And Imbura tells Berkeley, after a moment of silence, from that day forward, 
I've never been afraid of little dogs. <laughs> but, she continued, I have always looked for lions. And the moral of that story is, there are things in life that are like that little dog. And they can seem important in, in the moment. They can seem urgent. They can even seem you know, dangerous in the sense of trying, you know, biting at our heels and biting at our ankles. But they're not nearly as important as the other things in life that are like lions. And so as you get ready to move on to the next big thing in life, I want to remind you of five things to take with you wherever you go in this world as, as a way to live and a way to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. The first one is this. It's up here on the screen. Three words. God above all. Say it with me. God above all. Let's say it again with our outside voices. God above all. There is a tremendous scripture that we all should commit to heart. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, a lot of the context here has to do with worship. One of the things that we say around here is that, is that worship is something that human beings were built naturally to do. And we were never commanded in the Bible to worship. That's just something that humans do naturally. What we are commanded in the Bible to do is to worship God. And the reason that we are commanded to worship God is because worshiping anything else, worshiping the wrong things in this life, will bend you and it will twist you and it will hurt you. And that's why the Bible teaches us to worship God and to put Him alone at the pinnacle of our heart and our heart's desire. Putting God at the core gives you a center point for your life, and it's a life that flourishes. But here's the thing. So many times we approach putting God in the primary place of worshiping God above all things. We just put that sort of in in for neutral and there is nothing in this life that will allow you to coast when it comes to God being first in your life. We all have sort of this, and we talk about this a lot. You've heard me say it before. We have this heart-shaped hole, or heart-shaped hole, a hole, a God-shaped hole in our heart. And we try to cram into that God-shaped hole in our heart everything from money to people to experiences like pleasure to, to power to acclaim to achievement. And none of those things will satisfy. They will, they will disappoint you in the end. And in the end, they will bend you and twist you and lead you to a wretched life. At the very beginning of the instruction to Israel, as God is forming his first people, his nation on the planet, he says, remember this, no other gods to be worshipped. There is nothing in this world that will let you be neutral in this. This is something that you have to be proactive and decide, not just the beginning of every day. You have to decide it a hundred times every day that you will that this will be your full-time job, that you will not allow anything to stand in the way of whatever efforts you need to give to making God the preeminent person in your life. It's your full-time job. You remember the teaching of Psalm 15 earlier this summer. It talked about 
one of the things that this psalm teaches us to pray is, Father, more than anything else, I want to dwell in your presence. And if that's not my highest desire, then help me make it my highest desire. The most important thing as your minister for the past 17 years, I can say to you as you get ready for this next part of your life, is wherever you go and whatever you do, it's God above everything else. But then secondly, develop the lifestyle where you say thank you. It's gratitude. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, which means that your salvation, the fact that you have a relationship with God, is a gift to you, not anything that you, you earned. He continues, this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. L- earlier, he's going to say to the church in Rome, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We say thank you. Many of you know Denzel Washington. Uh, I think there's probably not a, a more recognizable face in Hollywood and in pop culture than the face of Denzel Washington. And in 2015, at a church banquet, he urged the people at that banquet where he had come to give a speech, he urged his listeners to live this constant lifestyle and attitude of gratitude for the goodness that God bestows on us. He said to the group, and I quote, give thanks for blessings every day. Every day. Embrace gratitude. Encourage others. It's impossible to be grateful and hateful at the same time. I pray that you put your slippers way under your bed at night so that when you wake up in the morning, you have to start on your knees to find them in humility. And while you're down there, say thank you to God. A bad attitude is like a flat tire. Until you change it, you're not going anywhere. There is nothing like developing a lifestyle where you have the eyesight that enables you to see the blessings that come pouring into your life. The problem is, a lot of us are blind to it. Our eyes are focused on some other things. Our attitude is all wrong. There are a million blessings that come into our life, but we don't see them. We pray, God, help us to have this attitude change, the eyesight change, the ear change, in order to see and to hear and to know that God is blessing us a thousand times, a million ways every day. And as a disciple of Jesus, we know that we have been given a life that we do not deserve. One of the ways that we talk about the gospel, you'll remember, is that it introduces us to the possibility of a life that we don't deserve, nor can we get on our own. That we come to a point where we recognize that we cannot save ourselves. The only thing that we can do from time to time is is to wreck our life badly. And God chooses to love his creatures rather than to abandon them to themselves. And in that love, he pays the price for justice for all of our crimes, that justice to be served by taking the penalty of our crimes on himself. And it was paid by Jesus who lived the life that we should have lived. He pays the debt that we should have paid, experiences the death that we owe, but because he was sinless, 
Death does not have a claim on him. And the resurrection changes everything. The defeat of death. But to be saved is not just to be forgiven, but it's to be given a brand new life. And one that recognizes in gratitude that we have been blessed beyond what we deserve. A third thing, do good. We are disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. I don't have any issues with the name Christian. It, it's biblical, but I want to make sure that when we talk about these kinds of things, that we understand that our, our faith is more than just Christian principles. We are disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, which means a changed life. We walk in the steps of Jesus. We follow the path that he leads us down. We become like him in every area of our life. And that's not something that happens overnight. It's a process, and it's not always easy. And most of the time, it's difficult, and it's a lot of work. But Jesus himself told us in the Sermon on the Mount that the life that you live is, is a light. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be what? Hidden. Your life is public. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and you don't get the thanks, but they glorify your Father in heaven. One of the most difficult things to do as a disciple of Jesus is to be able to do our, our good deeds in such a way that we don't get the thanks but God gets the glory. We have to be so freed up from, from guilt or fear or whatever it might be to be able to do that in such a way that people are able to look at our life and the way that we conduct ourselves and the way we do relationships and the choices we make and the values we live by. And they don't just see somebody different, somebody counterculture, but they see somebody that says, man, if that's God then that God is great. We do good. And then we live the mission. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, came to give his life as a ransom for many. You think about all of the ways that, that Jesus could have come into the world and, and they would have probably have been the opposite of the way that he did come in. I mean, you think about changing the world. Think about politics or somebody with influence who has money, who has prestige, who has influence in such a way that they can, they can make changes. That's not how Jesus came into the world. You go to Nazareth 2,000 years ago, and, and you're wondering, where do I stop to get something to eat? Where do I stop to fill up the car with gas? It's a little, little place out in the middle of nowhere. In fact, it's just on the other side of nowhere. And you think, for 30 years, for 30 years, out of 33, that's where Jesus lived. And for three years, and for three years, his ministry. 
there was a mission that was given to him by God that he lived. And that mission involved him serving and him becoming a, 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 the kind of Messiah that was different from any other that had ever lived. His was the kind, th think, about, think about a bed with a quilt on it. And you take about 50 or 60 marbles and you throw it on that bed, kind of spread them out. And they're just there and they're just laying around. And then you take a bowling ball and you throw it right there in the middle. The biggest of marbles is a bowling ball. You throw it right in the middle of the bed and what happens? It sinks and what else happens? All those marbles are attracted to the bowling ball. There was just something about the life of Jesus in living the mission of God in such a way that he drew all men to himself. And when we live the mission, we're talking about loving God in such a way that it, it, we can't help but love people. And if we love people that way, it's about, about sharing with them the very thing that causes our heart to swell and our cup to overflow and tears to come to our eyes because of the beauty of the gospel and what it is that God is doing in each and every one of our lives. And we live in such a way that even though we may be in some small area of the, of the workplace or a, a person whose name is not known, that whatever intersection we encounter with other people in this world, it's like those marbles to that bowling ball. We change the world that way. That's the way that God chooses. I mean, why, why, if you were God, why would you choose to go through people? I mean, you hear the argument all the time. Why doesn't he just write, repent, across the sky? He doesn't do that, does he? Because miracles don't always call people to repent. But the one thing you can't argue with in life is a changed life. And God chooses to change us in such a way that it legitimizes the power of his gospel. That there is a way that you love God and a way that you love people that does change the world because it's reconnecting people in their minds, in their thoughts, their ethic, their behavior, their affections. You're reconnecting them to the Creator Father. We love God. We love people we change the world. We do the mission. We live the mission. And then finally, last thing, wherever you go, find a church. Find a church. You know, uh, in poker, there comes a point where you make a decision. Either I'm going to keep messing around here with, you know, Penny Annie or I'm all in. And I'm telling you the only way to relate to the people of God is all in in go to church but don't just go to worship and sneak in and sneak out wherever you go find a community of people the the the, the church is 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 the is the most powerful community of people in the world it is it's the place where you find somebody to emulate when you, when you go to this, this new town, this new city, this new college, find that church home. And once you find that church home, find somebody. You say, you know what? I, I want to live like that person. 
I need that person to help me live like the Messiah. And, and, and not only that, when you're all in with the church, you, you go to worship with a different kind of a mindset. You're not just going to church to please your grandparents or your parents or, or your preacher, even though I would be delighted. The church is just about the last place on the planet that on a regular basis is going to challenge your character. It's going to challenge your character. You're going to be told in the church through sermons and Bible class and interaction with people and the people that you're trying to emulate because you see them a little bit further down the road in their discipleship than you. But sometimes they're going to tell you, you know, you're really doing a great job. I really appreciated your ministry or your words or whatever it is, that sacrifice that you made. But you also need somebody who can speak to you, not just like a, in a priestly way, but in a prophetic way. You need somebody to say to you, I haven't seen you around here in a long time. Are you okay? How's your life? How's your prayer life? Are you spending time in the Word? Are you spending time in the world? Are you memorizing Scripture? Are you somehow serving God with your life? Are you making a difference in the people around you because of your faith and what they see in it that tells them something about God the Father who created the heavens and the earth and everything in between? Go all in with the church. And uh, in closing, I, I just, you know these things. But we're going to say them anyway, because uh, a church is not an institution. It is an organism. It is a community. It, it's living. And, it, and it's built on relationship. And a lot of you have been members of this church family for the last 17 or 18 years. And I want you to know, even if we have fallen some way in saying this to you, we want you to know before you leave that we love God. Our shepherds will always take a phone call from you. Our, our ministry staff will always take a phone call from you. We watched you grow up, and we have watched you get ready to go out on your own. We have been to some of your sporting events. We've been to your school events. We've been to your recitals. We've been to all of these different experiences and events in your life. But more than anything else, we have been connected to each other because we are people of faith. And we are people who believe that the Word of God is true. And that the God it describes is the one that we serve every, every day. And every person in this church family, from the ones that changed your diapers, to the ones that were with you at, at cooking camp, and through the youth group, and through Bible classes, and middle school, and all of that, Every person in this church wants what's best for you. And quite frankly, who doesn't need more and more and more of that on a regular basis? You always need to surround yourself with people like you have in this church. Wherever you go, you can find them. And I'll just say it one more time. Wherever you go, know that we love you. And we feel like you will always belong to us. And we will always, always be there for you.
Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And it's an opportunity for us to praise God. It's also an opportunity for us to share as a church family the kinds of things that sometimes get heaped up in our heart. Things that cause us to struggle. They're cruel a lot of times. Sometimes they're brutal. Sometimes they're downright painful and horrible. And sometimes there are these good things that take place that we want to share with our church family. And we just want to fulfill that scripture that says we weep with those that weep and we rejoice with those that what? Rejoice. And this time is a period for you to do that. It's also an opportunity if you've never given yourself to God through Christ in faith. Receiving not just the gift of forgiveness, but the gift of the Spirit and the gift of His presence that turns you into the person you were always supposed to be. And you want to know how to do that and how that can happen for you. It can happen today. But come down to the front and talk to these shepherds as we stand and we praise God together.